You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the history of being black podcast for another episode. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm here with my guy. DJ Academics the Scholar. What's up, brother? What's happening, man? How are you? Thanks for having me. Been I know. It, yeah, I know. It, it seems like... I don't know what it is with, with the connection you and I have, because, you know, you've been my man for a long time, but it's almost like we'll talk every day, and then we'll go, like, four weeks without talking, but we talk, like, as if we had just talked, like, 15 minutes ago or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's always it's always weird. So sometimes I really got to be like, yo, how you doing? You know what I mean? Because it's like, no, really, how, how you doing, brother? Because I don't know if I talk to you in a second. So how are you, brother? I can't complain at all, man. Just working, staying busy, keeping the record spinning, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, Just a brief history because there's no, for those that don't know, act. Would I, would I say Ak was like my first person who I made that that pact with in this business? I think so. You know, you, you have those people that you meet when you are trying to come up in the game, and, and you know, especially with us in the media game. And sometimes, man, you reach, you see somebody across. It, it, for me, it goes to that Al Pacino speech in any given Sunday where he was like, you got to see a guy. Is that that guy? You know, and Ak for me, was the guy that I saw when we both was at um, PGC. And actually was, I would say probably, I mean, you might agree or disagree. It was like when I was leaving, really. And our bond yeah, I was kind of like, I was an intern. Yeah, yeah. Our bond was like really, really sharpening because I was getting ready to take a risk and I was going in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And Ack was, you was, you was an intern, but you was just about to get hired or whatever. Yeah, but, becoming a board op. Becoming a board out, right. That's, and we're gonna we gonna the term of board out. Exactly. And we're gonna get into that. And it was something about for me seeing your work ethic and what you was doing because our our for me, I felt like our lives were real similar. We wasn't the traditional interns. Like we didn't come in on some like, hey, I'm just guy, whatever. Like we kind of came in like both like off the street. Even though I came here from Howard, but I was a little bit older, like I wasn't no 18-year-old like intern. And you know what I'm saying? We have both kind of been around the world a little bit. So when we got these opportunities, you kind of had that hunger like me. And so I'm like, no, I, I was just out there. This is my shot. And I saw that within you, and we both just had a connection, even though you was from Baltimore and I was from Detroit, and it's been on ever since. And we're going to get into all the stuff that you and I have done. But I wanted to take this time to have this conversation mostly about you, brother, because it's no secret you share a name with some infamous um, another individual. But I wanted people to get to know the, the guy that I know and your come up, whatever. So, you know, let's let's take it back from the beginning because born and raised, Baltimore, you know what I'm saying? You coming up, and how does the DJ thing come about in your world? How does the DJ thing come about? Actually, it came about in Black Hollywood now, so to speak, in Atlanta, okay. in, in the new mecca of, um, <laughs> of everything Blackness. It came about uh, when I was 11 years old. 
um, my mother had just graduated from nursing school in Baltimore and, um, they happened to just be hiring a lot of new nurses. So, um, in Atlanta, they were hiring a lot of new nurses. So it was a lot of opportunity. My mother always wanted to move away because she, you know, lived in Baltimore City her entire life. The only time she went away from, which is which is crazy, the only time she left Baltimore was really to go to school where she went to Virginia State and then got pregnant with me freshman year and went right back to Baltimore. So <laughs> she wanted to try it again. So she tried it again and we moved to Atlanta. And at the time, you know, um, this is like late 90s, 98, 99. So um, I'm like, all I know about, I don't even think of the word Atlanta. I think of Georgia and all I think of, because I was a big, you know, black history person. So all I knew of was slavery, Jim Crow, plantations. That's all I thought of. It's not the Atlanta that you, or the Georgia that you think of today. That's when I was thinking of all, that's all I thought of. So I was totally against the move. So fast forward, we actually moved down there and I played football from like the age of six up until college. That first year I was in Atlanta was the only year in between that I did not, I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to like involve myself in any sports. I didn't even want to meet nobody. Like I almost failed the seventh grade because I just didn't want to be there. So, um, cause all I knew was Baltimore. So, but all, but what I did do, I just, I would stay home. I would lock myself in my room and I would listen to the radio. So I listened to the radio religiously. I was a kid. I would call up the radio station like four times a day, all that stuff. So I would listen to the night shows traditionally because I'd be in school during the day. So, you know, six to 10, that would be the show I would listen to. And um, it was a guy on there named by the name of Chris Lover Lover and Poon Daddy. That was a night show that I listened to religiously. I used to call him up all the time, and I'd be like, "Man, this is it! Like they they um they just play music, uh, have fun, and get paid for it. This is it." So I told myself right then I was going to be one of three things in my life, and I gave all three a value and effort. I was going to be of uh, a DJ on the radio or a famous DJ on the radio. I was going to be in the NFL or I was going to be a drug dealer. <laughs> because coming from Baltimore City, I had a lot of family members that did that and it was just all around. So that was that was a realistic, and I say this not to, you know, be bragging or anything like that, but that was like my mindset at 11 years old. Those were my three options. And, um, and like I said, I gave all three a good shot, but, you know, luckily, you know, DJ and stuck and it was just something that I was – infatuated with um early on so i kind of knew who i wanted to be and knew who i was okay man i i don't i don't want to brisk over that i don't want to brisk over that because that's something that i've been having conversation with with men in particular about that crossroads that we all seem to be faced with of i'm either going to go to school or it's going to be the streets i'm either going to go to the military or it's going to be the streets so you're in georgia at that time and you listen to the radio you like i'm about to be this dj and or the possibility of it, it could be the streets. Mm-hmm. Which one did you try first, though? I know you said you was listening and what you wanted to be, you kind of got an idea. But which one you try first? Did you buy your first piece of equipment first? Because you just mentioned that you tried kind of all the options or did you go get your first pack first? Well, it was kind of it was kind of well, at that at that age. And I, I mind you, at 11 years old, this is I had not done anything at that mm-hmm. point. It was just because, you know, you know. My father had had a, had a, had a history with drugs and then drug abuse, as well as uncles and all these things around me. So it's not something that I was unfamiliar with. It was something my mother always tried to shield me with, and she did a great job. She she tried her best, it, it, absolutely. But um, at a certain point, uh, we moved back because when I first I, at that time, I asked my mom. I told her I wanted to be a DJ right off the back. And she was like, "All right, I'm a, I'm gonna get you into it." Because my mother was always somebody to keep me involved because she didn't want me to get 
sidetracked with all the other stuff. So she always kept me involved. Before we moved to Atlanta, I played football, basketball year round. I was always into something because I was busy. I had to be busy. So, um, but um, yeah, so when we finally moved back, well, no, I was, I'm, I'm fast forwarding. So let me drive back. So she says, she says, yeah, I'm going to get you the DJ equipment. So then she looks at the prices of turntables and all that stuff. And she says, oh, no. I'm not about to spend all this money on this for you to play with it for a month and then not play with it no more. So that was a wrap. So DJ was put on hold. So then we finally moved back because we we were in Atlanta for two years. Um, We moved back that summer going into high school. And that summer, my mother moved to Baltimore County. So I moved in. I moved in with my father in Baltimore City. We living in West Baltimore. So let's just say I got a summer job, okay? That summer, um, and you know, I started saving up some money. And you know, long story short, I had like a, went started ninth grade with a different pair. Of shoes. I didn't even switch. I ain't switch shoes for like I ain't repeat a pair of shoes for like the first maybe two three weeks of school. <laughs> I had a different pair of shoes every day for like the first three weeks of school. And I um, bought myself uh, bought myself some stuff, but I didn't really you know, really dive into it. Cause I kind of just, you know, got lost in being a high school, the girls and stuff like that. So um, my mother snatches me out of the school I was going to, that was in my father's district, ended up going to a different, I ended up going to a different school. So, um, but I guess fast forward to 10th grade next year, another year or so is when I um, got another job and I saved up and bought my first pair of turntables. And that's when I, that's when I first originally started. And then um, the great mother that I had, I mean, I still have, I'm not talking past tense. Once I started investing in it myself and bought my turntables, then she bought me an amp. I bought a speaker and she bought a speaker. So she started investing in it as she saw that I was serious about it, like 10th grade. Now, Baltimore in particular has a particular sound. Like the Be More Club movement music is real. When you went to Atlanta, but you hear the personality part, you know, with Chris Lover Lover, A, as we come to know as Ludacris. But then you go back oh, to yeah, Baltimore. I forgot, that, I forgot that part. Right, yeah, right. right. It's all right. It's only fine. I got you. I got you. Yeah, but then that you guy go, went on to become known as Ludacris. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And so you you listen to, you you got the personality part and you like, you inspired by that. What was you inspired by technique-wise? Like, who inspired you to actually want to, like, cut the records, go to the party? Like, how does the process start for you in the inspiration? How does the, how does the process... Um... Start well when I first started. I, I went to a they used to have a little record store, and then I started going to like all the clubs and all the parties. And I met a guy as far as the club music part called Black Star. We later on we formed a group called Star Productions. And what we did, we um we threw parties all around the city, like all through, but we would rent out like little little rec centers and we would throw high school parties. At this time, I'm like, I'm 17, 18. He's about 19. He's, he's like a year or two older than me. But um, so, yeah, so we started just, we would go up to all the high school letouts. We would pass out the flyers and we would pack out these rec centers like crazy. We did it every week. We would run out different rec centers around the city. And then it got so big where well, we started going to clubs. And with Black, he was a producer as well. So he would make the club records. Like they were going to know these records like Toted Toted, Rider Girls, uh, Down the Hill. It was like Hands Up, Thumbs Down. All these classic Baltimore club records were made like right in front of me because we did it. We did these things together and we would make the. That was actually an attraction to the parties because. We made the song so if we wouldn't give them to nobody and nobody else had them, people had to come to our parties to hear these certain these particular records. And that became a thing around the city as well. But um so yeah, our parties would pack out. We did this for years upon years. And then um 
Later on, he ended up going to Cali and pursuing different things, going on tours with MIA, and um, we now know the the records for what they are today. But yeah, that was a that was a big thing because in those parties is where I really honed myself as a personality, like being able to like you know really talk on the mic and DJs. First, I would just because it was three of us. It was me, DJ Amazing, and DJ Blackstone. We had a host called David Finney, but like I said, we all young. So when David Finney, he would he would run, he would he would leave. All of a sudden, he would disappear. So out of nowhere, and he would just be chasing girls at the moment. So he would just disappear. <laughs> so when he would disappear like clockwork every time, that's when I would get on the mic and I would just, you know, test it out, start getting my feet wet and get my feet wet. And every time I got more and more comfortable in it. And then I started talking on the mic as I'm DJing. And I got more and more comfortable with that. And that's kind of where the technique kind of went, kind of kind of grew. What was the first DJ name? What was the first DJ name? Uh it was crazy. I think it was throwback jerseys back then. So I mean, that was I was bouncing around with all types of names like DJ Jersey Boy, uh, Kev Easy, because my government is Kevin. Uh, I really didn't have it was Kevo for a second. Um, and then you know, I, at that also at that time, it was a new like uh, it was a new clothing line that came out, which was Academics. The clothing line it was DJ Clue's clothing line, which is. At that time, he's one of the biggest like mixtape DJs in the world. So it's like everybody gets these mixtapes. So it was like DJ Clue. So of course I was drawn to the supporter because it was a DJ's clothing brand. So I was I was wearing it before it became popular. So I was always wearing, always wearing. And it became a joke. Like, nah, we ain't calling you that. We ain't calling you Kev Easy. You, you you academics. You academics. And it just stuck. Like it was a joke. It came as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so you you get your name. You DJ academics, you, you do it, you make it your name around your city, you and your crew. What happens at that point? Are there plans to go further? Are you okay with being, you know, the man in Baltimore? What happens after that? Well, in Baltimore, it was like I, I definitely had plans to go forward, but then I didn't know I didn't know how. I didn't know what was the next move. And then like uh, it was a lot of things that went on. Like I said, um, Black he um Black Star ended up going to moving to LA and he had um started working with MIA, which was the, um she had the paper planes record. So um he ended up working with her at production and doing all types of things. And um uh, my other partner, DJ Amazing, he ended up going to jail for he ended up serving like four and a half years. So at that point my whole crew is my crew is gone. So it's it's just me. So um what I do at that point. I get a, I start, I get up some of my closest homeboys and I'm like, look, y'all want to, y'all, y'all want to do this, bop, bop, bop. And I got the, cause I've already gotten the blueprint just from being around and learning, you know, from Blackstar, learning from, you know, the other, other people ahead of me, Jay Claxton, Quicksilver, K Swift, all these people I've, I've been around for years. So now it's like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to be the face of the group and the head of the group and actually take this moving. So, um, I get, I get up, um, get up like three of my homeboys together just so I can have the teamwork so we can all, you know, move around. And um, I name it Scholar ENT. And we start throwing, we start throwing college parties because I'm, I'm, we're getting older now. So I'm stepping away from the high school market and I'm moving to the college party. So now my party's 18 and over. So I'm doing those. And we went out, we have this one spot called Uzo's on Bel Air Road, East Baltimore. It becomes so crazy on Wednesdays. Like we have to, st- we had to stop promoting it because it's like it-, it became bigger than any of us even thought. Because it was just like we just had to, we had to shut the door by. I mean, the party was from ten to two. We had to shut the door by eleven thirty. Nobody else could get in. And then, um, and that was every week. And this ran for about three years straight. And um, with that, that's when I actually 
was looking around and I was like, 92Q, I really don't want to do that. I feel like at this point, I'm like, feel like I'm the man in Baltimore. I can do whatever I want in Baltimore. I don't need to be on the radio to throw a party in Baltimore. So I'm like, what's my next move? And then I looked at, you know, I'd always looked at like quick. So how he went to DC and he just created a whole new audience and just basically just furthered his career and didn't like, I felt like Baltimore, everybody was just like fighting over the same, over the same couple parties in the same couple venues. So at that point I was like, man, I want to, I want to go out to DC and I don't care how I get in. I just want to get in the building. And, and it was like, and at first I heard it was like a um, internship. So I was like, all right, but to be an intern, you gotta be in school. So what I did was I found this broadcasting institute. It wasn't even a real school. I mean, it was a school, I guess, but it was a school. It's called the Broadcasting Institute of Maryland. So I just knew once I had, once I was, um... <laughs> yo, I'm laughing because I, I, I was like, I remember that that I remember that joint. But I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you do it though. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So I um, so I, I, I enrolled in the school. This is like. Well, July's classes don't start till like August or whatever. So, I mean, this is like June. I got accepted to the school because it was a trade school. So it, I just knew it had to be a school. So that's what I call uh shout out to this guy, Bones, Bones to this day, uh, old Bones to this day. So I'm like, yo, I'm like, I'm, I really want to be an internship. Just get me in the building. Bop, bop, bop. I want to be a production intern because they had already schooled me. They was like, don't, don't ask to be a promotions intern. Ask to be a production intern. I was like, all right, cool. So I need to be a production intern. So I called Bones and crazy. He's on a, he's sitting right next to the person who's in charge of internships. And he just hands her the phone. Like, this is like fate. Like, I can't believe like this is happening. So I talk, I'm talking to her with her name was Tracy. So shout out to Tracy. She, she's married with kids now. Shout out Tracy. to Tracy. Yeah. yeah, yeah shout yeah, out, yeah. shout out to Tracy. Shout out to Tracy. So, um, so I guess. And what station is this? You, what station is this? Only just station I've ever know? been at was PGC. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want everybody to know. This, this is the only station I've ever been in physically. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I go to the interview. But before I go to the interview, I get all my references down. Jay Claxton is a reference. And Quick's, Quick's one of my references. Bones, of course, is a reference. And um, DJ Reds was my references. Those are my four references. Quick, Jay Claxton, Quick, who's on. At this time, Quick has already moved on to KYS and left PGC. Jay Claxton's on 92Q. And um, Reds is on ninety five point five, and um, Bones is, of course, he he's he's the hey, I think he's the head of promotions at this point at, at right now. So I have the I have I got good references while I go on an interview, and um, I end up the slot that I'll be going for is with Flex and Rain at this point. So I'm from Baltimore, so of course there's a is already a stigma in a in a, in a little is there's a little gray area that um is kind of people are pushing against. So um I remember this moment and this was the moment that I always say I owe DJ Rez to this day because um DJ Rez already has a has a um has, has a relationship with Flexes. He's doing flat five o'clock with Tig because Tig's doing afternoon flexes flexing rain at night. So um it's a moment where we're both in the hallway. I'm talking to Riz because after I do the interview, uh, they told me I could just stay there and just like watch Riz while he mix in the studio. Cause you know, I'm going to watch the craft. I'm, I'm always being a student of the craft. So, but they've already talked to flex about this intern. And I guess flex finds out is the intern is from Baltimore. <laughs> so he's like, all right, let me, let me feel this. Let me feel this nigga out. So, um, it's flex comes out of, comes out of the studio talking to Tig and it's me is me. Rids and Flex right here. So Flex looks at Rids and he was like, he's like, oh, this is the guy that I'm trying to make my new intern. 
He was like, is this your man? Which is like, do you vouch for this guy? Is you stand for this guy? This is like the moment of truth for real. For me, and it's going down like right in front of my face. So I'm just zipped. <laughs> like I ain't saying nothing. So it's like, Riz is like, yeah, that's my man. And he was like, and Flex is like, no, is this your man? And I'm like, and Flex, Riz is like, no, this is my man. And gives the official stamp. And from then on, I was an intern. I'm in there. Like I, I, I made it. <laughs> I made it. Made it through the woodworks. So I, I um, like I said, I, I don't look like the guy you see now. I had dreads all down my back. I'm, I'm, I'm a whole straight from Baltimore. So nothing gentrified about me at this point. So, <laughs> so I, I, I want to put a pause because I remember this moment because your, your locks was like down to your back. Yeah, And I remember when I got introduced to you, and me and you laughed about this off air a couple of times, one of my mans, who I'm not going to name, had made a blunder. So we all, you know, and, and even though I wasn't an intern at the time, we all, to what I could say, like, I got hired in research after I'm my internship, but we all just trying to do what we're trying to do. And we all doing board op stuff, which is you operate the board while everybody talking. And we, me and my man, we trying to get on air. We wait on that car to get on air, but we got us. We saying yes to board up. And then apparently, I guess he got asked if he was going to board out one weekend, and he said no. He had something to do. And then he was like, "Well, was I going to be on air?" And he was like, "Well, no." But what difference does it make? And then he says, "Well, if I was going to be on air, I was going to rearrange everything." And they was like, "All right, well, we'll let you know." Man, they had a meeting. And they put homeboy on blast about that. Like, mm-hmm. if you ain't here to work hard, da-da-da. So let me tell you who is working hard. This is my youngin. Flex come in like, this is my youngin, DJ Academics. He willing to do whatever it takes. And da-da-da-da. And I saw the look on your face because this is like your first introduction to like everybody in the room. <laughs> and you looking like, uh, <laughs> he's like, my youngin out here is ready to do whatever it takes. And da-da-da-da-da. And all I got to say is um, I saw things go up for you and things didn't go so well for my man. <laughs> but my first time, my first time on air, I got that. I had that same conversation. My first time actually on air. But um, but that's a funny story because, um, you know, me and Flex are like brothers now. But at that point, when when we I first become he didn't like me. He told me he, and, he, and he we had this conversation like he told me he's like, you know, I didn't really. He's like, when you first came, I didn't like you. I didn't like you. You're from Baltimore. You had dreads. You were so rough. Nah, I, I didn't like him. I didn't like him. But he was like, what um, he's like, what won him over was because I was always early. I was there every day. And like you said, I did whatever. I did whatever needed to be because I just wanted to be in the building because I came in at that time in my life, really. I just, I mean, I had a daughter I had um, who was like one or two years old at that point. So, and I had really just risked it all to do this because I had a job where I was making a lot of money and I just put some money away and I just bet the house on making this work. So I really had no plan B. Like either this was work, either this worked or we was going to be fucked up. (laughs) We was going to be fucked up (laughs) because I really bet everything on getting this job and making it work. And at this time, like I said, I had like a one or two year old daughter at the time. So it was, it was a lot going on and I put a lot at risk by um, taking this leap. So by once I took that jump, it was no, it, it was just no way I was not going to do everything in my power to, to make that happen. So like I said, I just want, he said, I want him over. And that now we are like best friends. That's like family for real. Um, yeah. And I, I remember that meeting because I was like that, hey, you just really just going to put the bulls out on my back. And, <laughs> but I was like, Hey, 
Fuck it, we here now. So hey, it is what it is. Like I'm not, I'm not about to stop working. Like, no, it was, it was, it was a meeting I'll never forget because it came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? If you were already doing your job at that point, it meant you had to stay sharper. And if you wasn't doing your job at that point, you was out of there. And that was the cutthroat days of what it was like at that time. Let me ask you, you said earlier that your mother at one point when she looked at the equipment, because being a DJ back then was a little bit more pricier than you come up yeah, now. You had to actually buy records. You had to get turntables. You had to yeah. do all types of stuff. You had to keep up with your needles. You had to do a lot more. So when your mother... What is, what is your family support like or your family like now when you are making these moves and you're becoming closer to that? Like, what's that transition like for them? Seeing well, I remember and um, sitting that thing, because you always <laughs> remember the people who didn't, like, believe in it. So it was like my great-grandmother, God bless her. I love my great-grandmother. She, she's gone now, but she was, I remember um, sitting at, like, Thanksgiving dinner and everybody, and she asked me, like, what I wanted to be or something like that. And I told her I wanted to be a DJ. And she was like... <laughs> Thought you meant like a real job, like an actual job. I was like, <laughs> I was devastated, but I was like, you're on the list. You're on the list. <laughs> What's the list, bro? What's the list? The the, the list of people that I'm like, that's, that's, that's <laughs> going to be shown up. Like, I'm going to remember you said this because you're on the list. You're on the you list. Put your great people. grandmother on the list, bro. Oh, yeah. She was on the list. She was on the list early, too. She was one of the first people on the list. Like, yeah. But I mean, but to her, like, from the time period, you know, they were, they were, they were fed the story of, you know, work hard forever and retire. And hopefully the government will take care of you. Like that was the, that, that was the scam they were told, you know, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. You take care of your family, you go to work, you come home, you know, just that type of thing. So, but, um, which is, which is not to her that she just went off of what she know in her experiences. But, um, yeah, I was just, I was just on something totally different. <laughs> so what's the, the first thing you had to learn in that transition of being a DJ for the parties, then you get on the radio. Uh, from from parties to radio technique, because everything needs to be a lot cleaner. There's things you can get away in a party with because it's not a sober ear and it's not a conscious ear. Like if I'm in the car, I can listen. I'm listening to every single party of transition. If I'm in a club, I'm really, they're really not paying attention. You can put sirens, you know, you can do a lot of different things and you can get away with a lot in the club that you can't get away, get away with on radio because they're not distracted. They're in the car. They're probably driving. So everything you're doing, they can hear. But um, just um, technique and just knowing you're playing for different audiences because is what you have to learn because it's a much wider audience than, you know, them, maybe that two, three hundred, maybe even on a, a good place, a thousand people you're in front of. But on radio, you're in front of maybe 50 to 100 to 200,000 people. It needs to be all race, ages, everything. So, you know, you can't see them. So you got to basically try to find the middle ground of everybody. So you, you, you got this internship. You working under a guy who I started my internship with too, DJ Flex. Shout out to him. And you know he don't like you. You from Baltimore? There's this there's this stigma attached, which is something me being from Detroit, I had to be introduced to when I first got there because I didn't understand it. Because I'm like y'all 45 minutes away, but you there, and so now you doing the intern thing. You put your money up. What happens now? Because I know money is is it going to run out? Is money running out? Like what's what's how are you how are well, you no, living I'm, in this? Well, how am I living? I'm doing parties. Definitely, I'm I'm still throwing parties in Baltimore. Nothing really is going on, and um, going on as far as party wise in DC as I'm as I'm an intern. I start like actually, 
you were the way I got my first party in um, DC and got my first consistent party in DC when you actually left when we when you was doing stadium and um, that was my first like intro to like consistently DJing and well not even DJing because I was just a host but that was my first intro to consistently working in DC and um, being a host and basically building a name and understanding that clientele and the climate so um, that I can't remember even what year that was but I think I, I was definitely hired I was a board op at that time I was actually even on air already. Ready, but I was just doing like overnights and stuff like that because I would leave stadium and go straight to the station and then do the overnight. So yeah, you would that was you really I, up until that point. I was still just doing part throwing parties in Baltimore, making money that way. Yeah, I mean, you. I was telling somebody the other day like that struggle to get on air back then was so real because we had to do the air check thing, and yeah, it's something yeah. you know making that two minute demo. You know, I, I talked about how they'll listen to my stuff for like 10 seconds and toss it out the window. What was no, it like you, for you? I'll tell you one thing. I got hired December 29th of 2009. Okay. And that was my, I remember because that was my, um, my New Year's resolution to get a job in radio. And I got hired December 29th, two days to spare. Okay. And from December 29th, the first time I got hired, I'm signing the papers and I, you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm on, I'm on it. So. I'm signing papers to be a board. I'm like, all right, so how do I get on air? He was like, just what you said, start doing air checks. So I do air checks. Because I, I would do the old, I would do the, um, I would board out. They had me doing like a 106 in Park countdown board op. And then I would do some other board op show on the weekend. But while I was there, because it's studio, the production studio is right next door, I would always go over there, do a quick Google air check. Make three copies of it. Put one copy in Flex's box. Put one copy in the APD's box. Put one copy in a in a production in a in a program director's box. So that I would do that every Sunday, and I did that every Sunday for seven, eight months. Because it was the, man, seven months, seven months straight every Sunday, and I don't think they even listened to one of them until this one day. When I had the same conversation you were just talking about with your man, they asked me, could I come in and um, fill in an overnight or something for um, for Poet? It was Poet that couldn't make her shift. Who does the middays now? But um, I do an overnight for Poet, and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a voice. That's, that, that, that's a hosting job. I mean, um, like, am I on air? And um, asked me the same question. He was like, well, I don't know. I can um, check, but if, you can't, if I can't get you on air... Um, can you still do it? So I, I just, so it's a trick question. I was like, yeah, no, I still got you, whatever. But I mean, yeah, if you can get me on air, yeah, get me on air. But I still got you regardless. And so I think that was actually the first time they actually listened to any of those air checks seven months in. Because by this time, they got probably like a stack of gay hive CDs because we still had CDs at this point. So um, and then he called me back probably like 15 minutes later and said, yeah, I got you on air. And that was like, tsh- early August, end of July. So like seven, eight months of basically doing an air check every week and putting it in their bo- in their mailboxes. And they finally listened to us seven months later. Okay. So you on there, you, you get the, and not, you know, for those who don't know, I had left to take an opportunity in Indiana. There was a station being started up and act was on a, on a friend tip. Act was really just my support system as a friend because I remember you were just checking on my well-being because I was like, yo, bro, I went out there for the interview. It ain't nothing out there, son. You know what I'm saying? I was like, it ain't nothing out there. You was, he was in like Fort Wayne, right? Yeah, I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and you was just calling me on some on support. And this is something that I think people don't necessarily mention when it comes to like networking because 
networking, there's this whole conversation about like, you got to meet people, but it, it has to be genuine. And I was making that transition. And I remember I was just talking to you as a friend. And then the people who were at the club, you know, before I broke the news to them, I remember I had a conversation with you like, yo, are you willing to do X, Y, and Z? And you was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, we're going to go about it like this. Like, yo, just start showing up. You know what I mean? Like, just, I can't promise you nothing, but, you know, just show up, be next to me so they can get your face. So when I mention you, they already know how you look, yada, 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 yada. And so when you did that, man, you stepped up, you know, you stepped up tremendously and I was gone. And as a friend, I was extremely proud of you. But to those who don't know, being on air, even in the, in the prime of what radio was, it ain't what you seem like. You're on air and it's like, it's cool, but it's not like your money about to increase. It's not like all the Absolutely sudden, not. you know, Absolutely it's, it's not. definitely, definitely when you're at a, uh, uh, what's, we were at what was called uh, uh, Heritage Station. So we on there with Legends. How long was that process? Because you on overnights, which to those who don't know, it's like 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. What's that process like? And how long did that go? You, I, I, I misunderstand the question. How long does it go before I started making money in radio? Yeah, or before you started to make it a full time, because I think that's the part that gets lost when people have these conversations is like, okay, you get on air, but it's not like it just, everything just pops off at that point. You still work. Yeah, the only people that are making money on radio, like getting those people who are basically full-time salaries, like, you know, you're Monday through Friday, you're six to 10, you're two to, you're 10 to two, you're two to six and you're six to 10. Those are the ones that are salary full-time. Everybody else is part-time. So they're really just making hourly rate wages unless they have, you know, some type of deal, you know, there's a few out there that, you know, got salaries to work weekends, but those days are over, I, I believe so. But there may be a couple still out there. I don't know. I mind my business. But as far as me, I mean, sheesh, a couple years ago. <laughs> but how long? But how long you was doing that overnight and the the, the not salary, not full time? How how many years was that? Uh, uh sh- up until recently. I mean, um, like three years ago. So, so it was like uh, like a total of like five years. Nah, I would say like a, like eight or nine. Okay, I wasn't just doing overnights. I'm of course I had, um I progressed. To, I was on during the day. I would fill in for all the day shifts and stuff like that. But as far as being full time and having my own show, yeah, that was only up until three years ago. So that was close to, I mean, 2009. That was close to nine years. But at that time, like I, well, you got to understand, like if you're going to be in this game, you got to understand that it's a platform. And I may not make money from radio. Uh, I but I can make money off of radio. And what I mean is just using it as a platform to build my brand. So when I do these clubs and I'm, I, it makes myself more recognizable and makes my band brand bigger. So that way, when I go to these clubs and I'm doing these parties, you know, I'm more consistent. I, at this time I'm, I'm doing more parties. I'm, my my price for for DJing is is up more. So that's that's where I make money because that supports my brand. Now during this period, also is becoming the rise of digital media, you know, which is something that I always like to say. People like you, me, my sis, DJ Heat, we were there when we got in the radio, but we were still young enough to not commit to the old way of doing things. So there's this whole boom. There's there's um, SoundCloud, there's YouTube, and people are having voices and everything like that in other platforms besides radio. As you're seeing this on this grind, what moves are you making also before the full-time switch happened? Uh, I mean, I'm really just making sure that I'm 
being becoming more of a presence as far as in the street in DC and in the club scene. And, um, you know, we started, I uh, started our own show, me and you, the hip hop matrix show. And we um, did that for a while. And also I was every, all the interviews that I'm doing, I'm now doing visual interviews and not just, you know, recording them. I'm doing visual and I'm putting the interview up on YouTube. So those are a lot of things that we, that we were doing as well. And so as you're making that move, what do you, are you seeing that shift in culture? For yourself, are you seeing the difference between when you started versus where you at? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's more platforms. The platforms are more prevalent, and they have more more backing behind them now. Like um, so, but back then it was just like you know, people just went on YouTube just to just to check out funny stuff and stuff like that. So it wasn't really a, a whole. Now YouTube is kind of like a TV station now, so it's, it's it's a whole platform that people go to to like visually watch things. Like they'll may not even go on to their turn on their TV. They'll go on YouTube and actually watch whole shows and watch whole interviews and whole things. It's become an entire conglomerate. Like that is like a cable network now. So um, that's what YouTube has become. Yeah. I mean, wish I would have bought some stock in it back then. (laughs) We all do. Um, Especially I, I definitely do. When you see that though, and you see it's different from when you and I got in the game and going through that process of intern. But now, even as a DJ, now all you got to do is just kind of like go online. And all you got to do is sign up for something and boom, you call yourself a DJ. Um, and I don't know the equipment, but I think it's something you could just download a software and these kids are just playing their playlists or whatever. And they call themselves a DJ. Are you having any personal feelings towards that as someone who is a student of the older craft and everything? Are you having any personal feelings of that? Uh, nah, not really. I could care less because um those those guys don't last. They don't last. Like it's a lot of them that came up when I was starting. And it was like I don't know. They just don't last because at a certain point, you know, skill and technique and um quality comes into play. I mean, yeah, if you chasing you know the little hole in the hole in the wall, maybe hundred fifty two hundred dollar little parties that I could care less about anyway, it would probably get on my nerves because those are the DJs that are in there. Like. The ones that are just, you know, push button. They call them push button DJs or just doing whatever, but have no have no actual technique or skill to it. They don't last. They do it for a couple of years. Those are, I mean, and they don't, and they just fizz out as soon as their homeboy stops promoting parties or whatever, because that's really how they get into parties, their homeboys. Okay. I mean, that's that's understandable on the DJ side because you, you're right. I have seen some of those social media DJs that are popular and they got views. And then when you actually go to an actual club, they they they're garbage and you're right they're doing other things now like they just jump on what's trendy but on the personality side when you have the rise of these new voices and speaking about the elephant in the room when you have someone like dj academics who is controversial and he's known he come up and he has the same name as you how is that making you feel when you be someone who's had this name for a certain amount of years and this and this and this does that affect your work do you see it coming? And when it's here, does it affect your work? Um, do I see it coming? Did I see it coming? Not like I didn't see him getting as big as he did. No, but um, I do. I did see. I did see it happening. And of course, you know, I ain't like it. But I mean, it is there's two of a lot of different DJs. Like there's more than one DJ Heat. There's more than one DJ Envy. If you research it, there's more than one. DJ Clue, if you research it, is um, there's a lot of it's it's a part of the game, but you know I wish I would have done some things a lot earlier on 
and I could have canceled things, but you know, um, that's just living and you learn. Uh, cause, um, yeah, that's just you living and you learn. But at this point, it's not stopping my work. It's just, you know, just have to clarify things first. <laughs> okay. Like what, what would be a clarification you would have to make? Like when someone comes well, on no, the show it's, or when you go somewhere or what? It's more out of town. Like if I'm um, getting booked out of town on some things, they'd be like, "Oh, that academics." Like, no, not that, not that one. This is this is the one, and just and just basically clarify who is who. Mm-hmm. Even though that academics doesn't even DJ. Now, so, the e- supposedly he started out as one, but <laughs> supposedly yeah. he started out as one, but he doesn't even DJ. He's now the, e- the the easy. Sorry to cut you, the, the, but the easy solution would be someone would tell you you and I've had this conversation would be to change the name. Is there any thoughts on changing the name or something you just like effing I'm sticking with it or what? Uh, I was there for a minute. I've thought about it and I, I got some, I had some serious thoughts about it. Um, but then I kind of had like, you know, it's, it's, then I realized people actually know the difference and it's only people don't know. He may be more, I put it like this. He's more popular. I'm more respected, mm. and those are the, those are the two ways I look at it. He's he's more popular because of controversy, you know, BS, gossip, that stuff sells. I understand that, but I'm more respected. You know, people if you go to actual artists or or label reps or any anybody people industry people they they know exactly who I am, and it's like I'll be in um I'll be in clubs and I'll go and it'll be an opening DJ and I walk in there and I will introduce myself to him like man I know exactly who you is man you're a legend like and I that was my and I've been hearing that a lot. And I was like, man, I put in a lot of work. So the only time I even have to answer the questions is when I'm outside of the market, outside of the DMV, if I go outside. But um, in the DMV, everybody knows. And you don't, you don't catch no static that could be harmful for you because, you know, like you're outside a lot. Like you out there, you are working. Has yeah, anybody, I'm outside all the time. That's Moving what I'm saying. Has, has anybody ever tried to step to you thinking you was – the other one, and then over something he said, and step to you over something like that. No. Okay. <laughs> I like the simple. Nah. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Nah. We, we, we don't look nothing alike. We don't sound nothing alike. Uh, our images are not nothing. Like we don't do anything the same okay. whatsoever. <laughs> so, but here's the thing that is, I I do question though, not just him. But there are a lot of voices in the digital media space now, whether they're doing it on Twitch, YouTube. Yeah, everybody Live, got a mic. Everybody got a mic now. Right. And so do you think that radio still has the impact that it is or is it or is it dying? No, I think radio is never going to die because it's convenient and it's straight to you and it's right now. Like if something happens, I can tell you right now. If you're in a car, you can hear about it right now. Uh, if somebody puts a podcast up, you know, somebody might not hit, listen to that podcast for a week or three days or the next day. It's not going to hit everybody right now. I have the access. Radio still has the access to hundreds of thousands of people right now. And and it's free and it's right there. It's in every car. It may not be the it may not be as in, as influential as it once was because it if you go back to the early 2000s and the 90s, it was just radio or TV, which was the which was the main media, of course, in print. But um, 
it was just radio or TV. And those days are, are gone because you have like YouTube, you have so much other media, but at the same time, radio ain't going nowhere. As much as people want to act like they don't listen to radio, they still listen to radio. They get in their cars and they, and they put it on. And then all of a sudden they may get in the car with their friends and they want to play their, play the Bluetooth and play their favorite songs, but people still listen to radio. Yeah. I heard something this morning, actually, I think it was from Charlemagne when he said that radio is, it may not be the same as all the other things, but radio, I think he called it the ultimate amplifier. Like mm-hmm. it's like the last step that you can have that can, that can amplify an artist's career. Have you seen that with artists though? Like artists who are really big on YouTube and this and this and this. And then when they get, the radio hit though it becomes they don't, a different they don't, thing. They don't. They still don't pop until radio until they go off on radio. You have an we, example? Anybody we, you you can recall, recall particular where you saw that? Uh, I mean, shoot, you can go like the little techers, the young blues, the all of them. Like these guys, they have they'll have these cult followings or cordays. They'll have these cult cult followings. You know, like on the they'll have the streams, but um, they're still considered like underground. Like they're not they're not in big venues when they come. They're in the they're in the clubs that hold probably about you know maybe a thousand people tops, but they're not doing the concerts or the, the big shows until they, until they got radio hits and they have that, that, um, that, that continuing, you know, those big placements. And that makes a difference because the audience is still there, whether you want to think about it and whether you want to admit it or not, the audience is still there. The person that walks around saying they don't listen to radio still gets in that car with the radio on. No, I, 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 <laughs> I will agree on this, right? This, this is where I can meet you halfway in it. Cause I don't necessarily think it's dying, but I do. When I think it about dying, the, it's not as strong yeah. as it used to be. It used to be a conglomerate of TV or mm-hmm. radio. If you wanted to promote anything, say anything will be seen. You had to go to one of those two places, TV, radio, and a long time ago it was print. Print is just about gone. But as far as TV and radio, they're still there. They're not going nowhere. Right. I, I was just saying, though, I do recognize that the change definitely happened when the PPM system came in. And Absolutely. the PPM system, to those that don't know, was something that made, uh, overall, it was changing up the data. They were going by the data. And so they were cutting jocks and saying that they couldn't talk as long, which is always, for me, something that's contradiction because you see these podcasts, they'd be like two, three hours long. and Some of them be a whole series. So, I mean, do you find that struggle of having your voice when it comes to actually doing the radio? Or do you, you just do what you need to do on radio and you save your when you want to elaborate on something on social media. People listen differently in different places. That's how I don't get any emotional attachment to any of that because I know tension spans. Like if you have to be in the mood to anything, it's just like listening to an album. Like I can listen to an album and when I'm in a certain mood and I, I won't like it, but if I listen to an album and I'm in a different mood, I'm like, man, I feel it. Like if I'm listening to something chill and I'm hyped up, I ain't going to like it. But if I'm trying to listen to something chill and I'm in a laid back mood, oh yeah, it's different. So it's different tension spans for different things. When I'm in the car, I have a different, have a different, uh, if I'm in the car riding around with my friends, yeah, I have a different tension span with it, whether that I'm in a car by myself or even if I'm just sitting on my porch or if I'm just sitting on my couch, my tension span is different and my appetite and the way my palate for whatever I'm an intake is a lot different in every way. So I understand when I'm on the radio and I'm doing my show for the audience that I have at that time, they're attention span is short. They want to hear what you got, what you say, say what you guys say, what you giving away, shout me out, play my song, keep it moving. 
play my and keep it moving. That's what they want to hear. So I'm I gotta get my get my comedic value, get my point across, and front sell what I got coming up next, all in 20, 30 seconds, and keep them and keep the music going. And that's what keeps the ratings and it works. The numbers show. So hey, I'm I'm not gonna try to force something that you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear you. You actually just brought up something that I didn't even think to ask you, but I I'm asking you now for the first time. And I don't think I even asked you this personally. You're someone who is actually most DJs. It's not they either are stronger in one where they're stronger in the clubs, mixtapes, and everything, whatever. Then you got personalities. You are both. Which one you get a rise out of the most that you lean more towards? Being a well, personality, cracking that mic, or when you on them turntables in front of that audience? Uh, when I'm in, on the turntables in front of the audience, I was a DJ coming in. I had to teach myself to be a per- personality. That was something I did just to get in the building. Because when I first um, got hired, they even when I was on the mic, they wouldn't let me get on the turntables. So I became, I, I just became a, a, per- a personality just to get into the DJ booth to be able to mix. I was at PGC for five, six years before they let me actually mix on the station. Uh, so um, I basically definitely had to work for everything. But um, yeah, it's definitely that gratification of being, that instant gratification of being in front of the, those big crowds and just doing your thing. But because um, I, I was a DJ always, like I just started being a personality maybe 10 years ago, but I've been a DJ for 20 25. So that's kind of, that part became a second nature. That was something I had to learn, study. I came in the gate, like sizing everybody up as a DJ. (laughs) And what would you say through all your years, you, you in the culture of hip hop, would be something, because you hear a lot of complaints. Some people say, yo, the music ain't like the way it was, not the golden era, whatever. What's a good thing you seeing in newer artists now um, that older artists probably didn't have. Uh, just freedom and versatility. Not scared to take risks with their music and go different places with it. I mean, that's great. And I mean, it's, it's all, I mean, it's just generation to generations. Like, a 18-year-old ain't making a record for a 30-year-old. He's not making a record for you. That's why you don't like it. He didn't make the record for you. It wasn't for you to like. It was for your daughter to like. <laughs> And she likes it. <laughs> that's that's what the music was for. It was it was for your daughter to like, and she she makes it. I've been blessed to just love music so much. I understand how it evolves, and it's it just equates from having fun. And fun for each generation gets a little bit more different. It's and just like our parents didn't like the records we were listening to, and now our generation don't like the per, don't like some of the records that the next generation. It just it just goes what it is. Like Ray Charles was getting stoned for. For, for for remixing gospel records. Like and then it went down to, you know, people just sampling the records that Ray Charles was getting getting blasted for. They mad at that. And now we don't it's just it just keeps going. So every generation is gonna be jealous or mad at a past generation that you ain't popping no more. It's just you just gotta get over it. Keep it moving. <laughs> what would you say would be a negative in the new era that we have now that you wish we would have maintained from the past? Uh just the education. Just the education of it and um, continuing to pass down like the the jewels for ownership and, you know, the craft and the business and not just, you know, letting people just come into it blindly and um, allow telling them how to, you know, get their name rights and, you know, how to build their brand and, you know, how to make this a career instead of, you know, back then it was just like nobody believed in you until you were a success. So now it's like it's because this is a proven this is a proven lane. This is what you need to do to take yourself seriously. 
Yeah, that's 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 dope, man. I mean, as you as you've been growing in this business through your journey, as and I know you got many more accomplishments to come. What would you say would be like your proudest achievements so far? What was that one where you're like, yo, this was always going to be my shining light that I, I'm glad that I got over this hump or this achievement? Uh, my proudest, ach- my proudest achievement. I don't know, but I, I did have a have a moment like a last week. I had a, I had a moment last week where I was like, man, I gotta do my radio show six to ten, go to the club from twelve to three, catch a flight to Atlanta four or five hours later seven thirty, land in Atlanta nine thirty ten, do a brunch in Atlanta from twelve to four. Hit the Revolt Summit from like six to eight. Then do a party in Atlanta that night. Another twelve to three. Catch a six AM flight back to DC and do another brunch in Virginia from twelve to four. All in the same weekend. I was like, that. And still got a top rated show, number one show in the DMV, night show. On a, in a top 10 market. I was like, man, if you would have told me this 20 years ago, I'd have risked it all again. <laughs> 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 you told me I mean, I would have weekends that I've been doing this, I would have risked it all again. So that was, that was a moment I had. I can't tell you my proudest achievement. I mean, I guess it would just be being able to do what I love full-time, not having to work at a warehouse part-time or anything like that, and being able to support my family 100%. So that would probably be my biggest achievement, being able to do what I love and not do what I want to do for a living and not what I have to do for a living and still be able to provide my family with the lifestyle that they deserve. That's dope, man. I appreciate that. So what you got coming up, brother? What's something that we need to look out for, you know, when it comes to you? Uh, just keep looking out for me in a city near you because that's my goal. I want to do have weekends like that every weekend. I want to be in different a different city every weekend doing what I do best. And that's, you know, making people dance. I call DJs. We're like therapists because if I can make you forget about every problem you have for just a couple hours and reset your mental health so you can go back in that office on Monday. I feel like I've done I've done society a great help. I feel like I've been a public servant at that point. So I want to do that all across the world. I continue to travel and, you know, support my family, you know, have fun with my kids um, and continue to have the number one night show and the DMV on WPGC 95.5. So make sure that y'all tune in, keep your brother employed and, um, (laughs) and just continue to elevate, you know, nobody knows what to continue to evolve and, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, so just by being open to evolve keeps me going. Okay. Well, let's close out, man, by, you know, give 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 somebody who might be hearing this some game, you know what I mean, when it comes to that, because you had a whole history to get to where you at. You got a lot more to come. But in this lane right now that you're sitting in, if there's somebody that's trying to get to the level where you at, whether it's the radio or any other part, what kind of game can you give them? I don't know. That's the crazy part for me for just telling people the level. When I hear the level that I'm at, like that's wild just hearing, period. Like you, because when you're in the race, like you don't really understand and look back, see how far you got. You just see where you're trying to get to. So just to hear even phrases like that is crazy to me, just to the level I'm at or get to where I'm at. And like people, and then you realize that there's really, 
most DJs and people really don't reach this level. And um, I'm definitely not done because I want to be syndicated. I want to be all of that. So, um, but the game that I would give is bet on yourself at all times. I'm not a gambling person. I don't go to casinos. I don't do all that, but I bet the house on myself because I know if I ain't got no plan B, I'm going to make this work somehow, some way. It may not work, come out it come out and work as fast as I wanted it to work because this didn't, by all means. If I could have had it the way I wanted it, I would have been right here 10 years ago. But <laughs> it, it, it didn't work out that way. So it's, it's all about just staying consistent and persistent in your dreams and just not, and just understanding like, hey, it's, it's, it's the... The, it's the process. It's the process. Like your process may take longer than such and such's process. He may get it a lot quicker than you, but he may not last as long as you when he gets it. And it could be something about you that nobody wants to really, you know, have that moment with themselves, but you just, you may not be ready for what you're asking for right now. And maybe at 24, 25 years old, I wasn't ready to be in the position that I am. Maybe I would have fucked it up back then. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, me now, I'm 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 so serious and I'm I'm on point with everything. Like there's different devils for every level that'll try to bring you down. I can see those things coming, and I, I keep myself away from them. I've learned a lot over the years, and maybe that prepared me to be where I'm finally getting to that place now. Because at 25, I could have got caught up in you know 23, 24, could have got caught up and fucked everything up, and not even had a career. You never know. But that's why I'm at peace with the way my timetable went. Yo, brother, if I can say on a personal note, man, to see it up close in your journey, it has not only been proud for myself, but it's been something that's been inspirational because we have held each other down. And so just to see you keep going, because I mean, we can, this podcast is one that can go on for days to talk about your story. There's a lot that I know, you know, at, at one point was selling meat people. He was in a truck driving yeah. around selling meat. And I was great at it. I was great at it. I made a lot of money. I made, I made a lot of money off this. Right. He was slanging meat. Legally, he was slanging meat. Knocking at your door, the brother would be like, you want some ribs? Like, it was, it was, it was real. You know what hey, I mean? But um, I when I think, I think about what I heard Kevin Hart say on Drink Champs, and he said, you can't escape the work. And when I heard that phrase, I instantly thought about you. Like, no joke. Um, because you have been somebody that's always been about the work, and you've been, you don't complain about it. You find a way. And brother, I just got to tell you, I'm proud of you on the note. I hope there's something that you can get from this. And I hope there is something that when I hear you say and doing what you need to do, I want to continuously to wish you a good journey, a good path and everything and everything that you do, man. So thank you very much, brother, for being a part of this show. Same to you, bro. Still doing your thing, finding a way, even though, you know, Wayne didn't, Wayne, Indiana didn't work out. You still evolved and created a whole nother lane. So same to you. No doubt, bro. No doubt. Well, that's it, man. It's been another episode. Thank you for joining us for the history of being black. I feel like my blackness has been elevated. Yo, Ak, your blackness has been elevated, bro? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, Ak, let everybody know where they can find you. That's right. Uh, at DJ Academics, because I am the original one, so I have the I have the at. So at DJ, a.k.a. D-E-M-I-K-S. That's Instagram and Twitter. All right, and follow me. You can also follow the station at WPGC 6 to 10, Monday through Saturday. Rock out with me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. As usual, you can follow me on all social media platforms at J Hall Society. 
Act, I appreciate you for coming on the show. I hope you come on again anytime you want to promote something or something particularly you want to talk about. The door is open for you. You know, this is just an introduction to who you are. So when you come on again, you get to talking about what you're talking about. People know you know what you're doing because you've been in this game for a minute. So as usual, be blessed, successful, and we will talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.